This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. God, I assume Tom. This man I'm speaking with this afternoon is a humorist, a syndicated cartoonist, uh, a father, and the author of The High Points of Sobriety, which I assume uh, becoming a father is what drove him to drinking in the first place. Tony Rubino, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations on the book, man. It's a fun, quick read. You know, you got your comic strip, uh, Daddy's Home. You You have a book based on that as well. Uh, what made you yeah. decide to write a humor book about sobriety? Because, you know, this is a pretty touchy subject. Yeah, well, um, I'd like to say I just, you know, became an addict because I wanted to write the book, but that's not what happened. So um, I uh, have been struggling with uh, alcohol and substance abuse and, and, uh, for a long time now. And uh, I just, I would go to, like, the AA meetings and, talk to people and every time you know we a group of a group of alcoholics or addicts got together there was always a lot of humor and a lot of self-deprecating humor and i i just it, it's always helped me so much to uh to overcome my problems and i noticed that not, not a lot of people were doing anything with humor and this subject so i said you know what let me just give it a try you know i wasn't sure if people were going to want to publish it because they don't, I don't want, you know, some people might think I'm kind of making fun of it, but I'm, I'm really not. And, uh, and, uh, you know, this, uh, McFarland decided to publish it and, um, so the rest is history. And then with, I would assume the success of the show, mom making fun of, uh, sobriety with drug addiction and alcoholism, uh, kind of helped, uh, open the door for you in getting it published. Good point. Yes, it probably did. And, um, and, uh, even now, now that the book is out, it, it's still, you know, it took me a really long time to get this published. It took me about, uh, probably 10 years, wow. um, that I've had this idea and nobody wanted it. And then finally somebody said, you know what? We get what you're doing here. You're not making fun of it. You're laughing with everyone and, uh, let's give it a try. Well, there, in the beginning of the book, you, you mentioned something that's really funny to me, because I had a similar situation. Um, you talk about being a child, and you had your first sip of wine in 7-Up, and that kind of yeah. set you on the path to alcoholism. Whereas, yeah. when I was roughly the same in the same age group, they allowed me to have a sip of beer, which I thought was the most disgusting thing on the face of the planet, and I never right. wanted to touch the stuff again. So, okay. could it possibly be the type of alcohol that was served that pu pushed you over the edge? Like if you had sipped Coors Light instead at that age, you would have been like, oh, this is garbage. Why are adults drinking this? That's a good point. Um, yeah, I come from a, like, my parents are from Italy, so I have a very ethnic background and, and it's culturally acceptable to give kids uh, a little bit of wine mixed with 7-Up. So, yeah, I mean, it tasted good. And most alcohol, when I've had it for the first time, I didn't like because it didn't taste good. But this happened to taste good, and I love the way it made me feel. So I was off to the races as soon as I had some. And then you found out at some point that your uncle was an alcoholic, so it was just a genetic thing rather than you just liking wine and 7-Up? Or, like, how does that play out? 
Like, I'm trying to keep it a little light without, like, you know, we're not trying to be insulting either. We just got to try to keep it a little light. Sure. Um, well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, there there are inklings of it in my family um, here and there. So um, that, that's part of it. You know, the jury's still out on whether or not this is genetic. A lot of people say it is. I kind of think it is. Um, but... Uh, it all depends on the person, you know. Some people, some people don't have it in their family, and, and it's just something that that um, they they get they have trouble with, and they can't stop once they start. But um, in my case, there was definitely nobody was officially out of the closet, but there might have been a few uh, people who were questionable. A few people you had to uh, hide the key for the liquor cabinet. I get what you're saying. Yeah, something like that. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, it took you 10 years to write the book. So obviously you've been sober a minimum of 10 years. Um, was there a moment that was the catalyst to get you to sobriety? Um, and go, you know what? I, I've hit my bottom. Let, let's get off this train. Like, was it fatherhood? Was it, you know, potential divorce? Like, what was that that got you first to step to an AA meeting? Well, first of all, I'm not a father. Okay. And a lot of people make that mistake because uh, of the of the comic strip. Um, but I am not actually a father, so it wasn't that. But um, it was um, it was basically being sick and tired of being sick and tired, as they say. I was just, you know, at, at one point, you know, for a long time, I was able to drink and function properly, and then it just got to a point where that was no longer an option for me. And it stopped being fun. It just became something I had to maintain. And um, because of that, um, and there's been a couple times in my life that I've wound up, you know, in the hospital because of it. You know, because you got to be really careful with alcohol. If you try to stop and you don't uh, seek a doctor's a doctor's um, help, you can go have a seizure and a, a few other things. And some of that stuff happened to me. So when that happened, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I really didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. It was either that or, you know, die. Well, I'm glad you're still with us and that the other option wasn't uh, a favorable one. And, yeah. you know, and now we have your book. Um, what's been the reaction from addicts? Like, have you taken it to AA meetings and presented it to people there and go, hey, guys, what do you think of this? don't because AA kind of frowns on people bringing their own stuff and trying to like do some kind of marketing in there. So I haven't done that, but I have gotten some reaction from people and um, I'm glad to see that most people so far get it and they're, um, they can relate to it because a lot of us, because I don't just concentrate on alcohol or one drug in particular. I kind of uh, run the gamut of all the, all the substances and, um, so people relate on different levels, but so far it's been a good response. Well, the book, the book's a lot of fun. It's funny. It, it's cutesy at times without being insulting and you're not insulting your readers, which I really appreciate. Cause I've had friends that have, you know, um, they're, they never call themselves a recovered addict. They're always calling themselves recovering addicts as if they're still in recovery, even though they've been sober, you know, X plus years. Um, does yeah. that become a yeah, yeah, yeah. struggle for for some people? As uh, well? Absolutely, if, I, I would argue that for everyone, 
um, it's a constant struggle because addiction doesn't go away. If, if, um, if you, if I have a drink now or, you know, abuse a substance now, within a couple of weeks, I'll be, I'll be a rock bottom. It'll be like devastating. So yeah. And, and, and you always have to stay vigilant. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book because one of the ways to stay vigilant is through humor and to make fun of it because when you make fun of it, it loses its power over you. And, um, so, uh, yeah. I forgot the question. No, no, no. It, 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 you're going along the lines of where I was going. The next thing I wanted to touch upon really was like, you know, every couple of generations, there's uh, an addiction that almost seems palatable for society to accept. You know, for a yeah. while, alcoholism was kind of an acceptable addiction in that, oh, you had a few drinks, you had cocktails, it was a nice little party, and then you just go to bed until you could no longer function. Uh, cigarette addiction yeah. was considered, you know, uh, cigarette smoking was considered classy and, and respectable and, you know, highfalutin, high society stuff. And then, you know, it, you can smoke anywhere, even in your own apartment anymore type deal. Um, yeah. you know, cocaine was the eighties drug. Uh, does it seem now that the acceptable addiction is, uh, food that led to obesity? Because now, you know, I have nothing against body positivity because I'm a heavy set man. But I also, like you, realize that where if you had one drink, it turns into 16 drinks. If I had one slice of pizza, I can have the whole pizza. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a good point to make because, um, yeah, uh, I think there, a lot of these substances are acceptable uh, still on many levels. Certainly alcohol is. And, um, but you have, what you have to ask yourself and what you are forced to ask yourself when you're in my position and you have to deal with it is, is it affecting your life? Like, for example, you know, if I, if I drank a Coca Cola and the next day I felt like I couldn't get out of bed and I was afraid of what I had said to my family and I was causing all sorts of trouble in my life. What would you do? You would stop drinking Coca Cola, right? Mm -hmm. But but if but with the, with the alcohol and drugs, you can't stop. So that's kind of the litmus test: is it affecting your life? And so a lot of people, you know, it does affect their life. You know, they go out and they get drunk. They wake up the next day, they feel like shit. They're not sure what they said to people. They might have you know gotten into some trouble, and then they start drinking again. But with something that wasn't an addictive substance, you would simply stop doing it and put it down. Makes sense, you know, because, like, I mentioned food addiction because I see, like, you know, how people freak out. Like I mentioned, you know, the one slice of pizza to the whole pie type thing. Sure. And, you know, how that's not necessarily viewed as an addiction, but it's also not being able to push yourself away from the table, same way not being able to push yourself away from the bottle. Um, oh, I agree. You know, yeah. is, is but it seems like people have come to oh, it's just the way it is. It's acceptable and whatever else, you know. And I've made the conscious effort to like, nah, maybe I shouldn't have pizza because I know I can't stop after the one slice type deal. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, that, that'll kill you just as easily as the other stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing. I think you know the same whatever it is. And it could be it doesn't have to be a substance. It could be sex or gambling or anything. Yeah. You know, if it is the litmus. Litmus test is, is it affecting your life in a negative way? Yeah. Uh, 
you brought up gambling and the only thing that I, I thought of, and this is, you know, dark, uh, part of my dark uh, sense of humor is like anytime I go to Vegas and I see somebody panhandling and I was like, good luck, pal. Half those people left their money at the, at the craps table or the slot machines. Right. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. I mean, but you know, gambling is a huge problem. A lot of people are cross addicted, you know, they stop one thing and they start something else. Right. Um, with, with the book itself, have you thought of turning it into a one man show? I mean, there's a lot of funny anecdotes and a lot of funny sayings that you have in here, uh, pointing out dating, like, hey, you don't have to go home and sleep with the person that was nice to you, you know, for right. whatever reason. Yeah, right. I'm paraphrasing just because I don't want to give all the lines away. Um, you know, have you thought about turning it into a one-man show and just, you know, one-liners uh, for a comedy act type deal? Um, you know what? I haven't thought about that, but that's actually a very good idea, um, you know, the book has just come out recently, so I'm just sort of concentrating on that happening. But yeah, I think this has, this, this idea has potential as a lot of different things. So maybe that's something I'll explore. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, you have fun with it and like, uh, you know, well, here, like, here, I'll give one line. Um, you know, reason sure. to stay sober. Uh, your SAT scores will be higher because you won't, uh, you won't not take them. You know? Right. Uh, you no longer right. have to eat cereal with a fork. Like, you know, you poke fun at, right. at some of this stuff, but I assume, like, at bare minimum, one third of these either actually happened to you, and the other two thirds yeah. happened to somebody else, or two thirds you and one third to like other stories that you've heard uh, from new friends and from other people in AA. Yeah, no, it's definitely a true story, and and what I think I'm doing with this book is um, I'm. Um, I'm not making fun of alcoholics and addiction. I'm making fun of the, what we do when we're under the influence. Mm-hmm. That's the key, you know. Uh, and what we do when we're under the influence of things, like whatever it is, is absurd. Like, it's crazy to think about it from the sober side of things. Like, I can't believe that's what I did. And I thought that was okay then, you know. And that's the whole key there. Yeah, I've also heard that that statement from other addicts. You know, I thought that was okay. I thought that was normal. I thought that was common behavior. Um, yeah. You know, and then at some point, like you said, you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then you wake up and realize that it's not normal to wake up in your own pool of vomit three times a week or whatever. No, it's not normal to wake up and wish you, you know, could go back to bed or gag when you brush your teeth or um, stuff that I put up with on a daily basis. Um uh, and just justified, you know, justification is a huge thing. And, um, I just, I, 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 I justified that this was okay because, you know, I just maybe had a little too much drink or, or, or whatever. But, you know, when you, when you get on the other side of it and you look back, you, know, you really can take a, a, a critical look of what you, your actions were like. And, um, that's what I'm pointing out in this book. Like, can you believe this shit? This is real. Like, the stuff I said in there is, all true. It's a true. It's a, it's a it's a true story. The book, and I I love the book for what it is. Um, here here's something that you know, like I know artists, and you're an artist because you have a syndicated cartoon. But when they sit there and they're scared to put pen to paper for a novel for feeling that they're going to be judged on their work and their merit and whatever else, when you put essentially your soul out there and your past demons to be expressed to the world, 
How much more frightening is that to make this big reveal to society? It was pretty frightening. Um, you know, when I first had the idea, uh, when I sold the book, I thought to myself, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, is there a way to do this without actually telling people that I'm, you know, an addict? You know, which is, again, an absurd thought, but it's the way we think. And um, so, yeah, it was it was very frightening at first, and I wasn't sure how it was going to be accepted. And, uh, you know, I read the introduction to my parents before I um, sent it to the publisher because I wanted them to be aware of what I was about to do. And um, so it was it was pretty scary, but it wound up being uh, very therapeutic. And in the end, um, I think I'm better off for it because, you know, the, the first thing you have to do when you want to stop any substance is admit that there's a problem. So... I'm basically doing that to the whole world. And you broke the curse of what a bunch of mothers say. And what will people say if they knew? Yeah. You know, I was worried about that. And I still kind of am a little bit. Uh, you know, this is who I am. And um, in many ways, I don't have any regrets because I became who I am now uh, because of what happened to me. So it's okay. It's okay to be okay with that. And if, if, if other people are not, then that's their problem, not mine. What they, they say, what other people think is none of my business. Since your book is, is geared to not only, you know, put a humorous slant on addiction, but it's going to, you know, possibly help people get into uh, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is there like, where was I going with this? I'm sorry. Lost my train of thought, but, um, you know, is there a point where it strengthens your relationships, not necessarily just with strangers, but within your own family, because you read it to your parents, they knew your situation. They saw you get sober. They heard the amends that you made, that you attempted to make and eventually made with them. Uh, how does that strengthen your relationships in being this open with people? Um, I'd say in just about every single case, it has made my relationship stronger with people because I'm, I'm being completely honest and I'm, I'm being completely open. And, uh, you know, that's the key to any good relationship. And this is kind of the ultimate, you know, way to do that. You know, I, I, I just sit back, sit back and say, this was me. This is what I did. And it was crazy. And I'm sorry about it. But now it's time to move on. So I, I would say it absolutely strengthens my relationship. I don't think there's one case where it, it, it affected it negatively, you know. I, I don't think. I mean, I don't know what people think behind my back or what they say, you know, when I'm not around. But I don't, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think all the relationships are better for it. Uh, I, I do have to ask, how did you come up with the title of the book, you know, The High Points of Sobriety? Because I, I love the play on words. Yeah. Um, well, that was kind of we. I went back and forth on a lot of different titles, um, but that one just seemed to resonate because essentially that kind of told the story of what the book was. It's not a book about addiction; it's a book about recovery. So I'm talking about all the good things that can happen if you're in recovery, and looking at all the bad things that happen when you're not. And now that you've been in recovery for X amount of years, uh, what's the most joyous thing you feel when realizing that you 
don't have to wake up with a hangover? Well, honestly, I try to remember every day, if I can, um, that I'm lucky to not be using anything. Um, every day is a gift, and um, and I, um, you know, I I love my life now, and I try and stop and think. Wait a second, you know, no matter what else is going on in my life, I can always say, you know what? At least I'm sober. I dig it, man. I dig it. Um, this might be a little too personal of a question, so if you don't want to answer it, I completely understand, and you don't have to go into detail. But was there a specific amends that you had to make that was the hardest amends in fear they wouldn't accept your apology? And was that part of influencing you write the book? Uh, I would, I would, I would um, say the hardest thing that was like that was when I first decided to seek help. Um, and I told my family, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I need some help. That was the most difficult thing that I've uh, done. Uh, one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. And it was very hard because I was a good drunk. You know, I was a really good drunk. And a lot of people, most people had no idea that I was, you know, having some sort of problem. So when I told people, they were like, I was like, I'm an alcoholic. And they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, really, I am. And so I almost had to do a reverse intervention and convince them that I was an alcoholic. How does okay? How does that work? That you have to convince them that you were an alcoholic. You were that good at hiding it. Yeah. Oh, we, we get very good at, at hiding these things. And um, I was a, a very high functioning alcoholic. I had my rules and regulations. I only drank at night. I didn't drink too much in front of people. I did all my drinking alone, the heavy drinking. So I was always aware um, that I didn't want people to find out. So I was constantly thinking, you know, along those lines. Um, and it's, you know, that's one of the things that we all do. And it's one of the big reliefs when you don't have to do it anymore. Now, you know, that that's a, a lot of self-awareness and that's got to be a lot of pressure on yourself to be able to keep that mm -hmm. secret and essentially lead a double life. Basically. Yeah. It's a nightmare. It's, it's, it's basically a living hell. And that's just one of the bad things about addiction. Um, but that's a huge thing. It's like, you're constantly lying. You, you just constantly lie. And I think one of the things I say in the book is, you know, now that you're sober, honesty is an option. And when you look, now you're able to look at yourself in the mirror, I assume. Oh, yeah. I, I'm proud of what I've done and I'm proud of what I've been through. And I don't have any regrets other than, you know, you know, it would be ideal if it didn't happen at all. But since it did, I've become a better person for it, I think. Uh, and isn't it better to seek redemption than to uh, continue to wallow in failure? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the way it was, the way it's going for just about every uh, person who is in the throes of addiction, if you don't do something about it, eventually it ends in um, death, hospitalization, or prison. 
And that's the truth. If you don't try and help yourself, that's what's going to happen. You can almost guarantee it. You know, on, on a slightly lighter note, Leslie Jordan, who's a, who's a comedian, a comedic actor, who's a, yeah. a playwright and, and, uh, is currently on the series with Mayim Bialik, uh, Call Me Cat. Uh, so yeah, yeah. this is the big quote on the back of the book and, uh, within his foreword. Lord have mercy. When I read the high points of sobriety, so many memories of my drinking and using days came flooding back. This book makes me so glad I got sober. When you hear a statement like that from somebody else who is an addict, who's also been sober for a while and has uh, a level of notoriety like Leslie, what does that mean to you? Minus the notoriety, but the fact that, you know, uh, an addict was able to see himself in your work. Well, in that particular case, Leslie is a wonderful guy. And and um, I was, you know, thankful that he, he thought so highly of the book and uh, agreed to give me a quote. Um, but in general, every single person I touch is, uh, a gift. Like if, you know, I, I know this is cliche, but honestly, every single time someone gets that something out of this book and I know about it, it's kind of the reason why I did it. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to musicians, I've talked to, uh, painters of which you're also a painter. Um, that said that their substance abuse helped their creativity and it helped them, uh, you know, come up with certain melodies or certain paint patterns or, or whatever else in their designs. Um, how has your creativity either flourished or diminished since sobriety? Um, another very good point. Uh, I used to, uh, one of the rules I had was I didn't work when I was, um, high. So it was one of my rules. The drinking was almost a, was like a reward for finishing what I had to do work-wise. But um, there were times towards the end that I did do stuff um, while I was under the influence. And at the time, I thought it was helping me. And I'm not going to totally say that it never does because there are certain substances you can use that enhance things and in that particular moment will make things a little more creative for you. So I'm not one of those people that says, oh, absolutely, that's crazy. You know, you, I do so much better work when I'm sober. But in the long run, if you look at the whole big picture, um, I'm doing much better work now as a whole than I did then because there's no interruptions from from being high or, you know, having to worry about the, the, the responsibilities of being an addict. That, that's a, a very interesting point that you're making there because, you know, it, it's always strange that, that you'll hear one thing or another and then, you know, people feel like they lost their edge and will go, use it as an excuse to go back into their addiction. Um, I was, I was scared. I was very scared that that was what was going to happen. Um, and, uh, I was thankful that it didn't. It's one of the things I'm, I'm just thankful for, you know, because I didn't know what was going to happen, but it, 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 it was something I had to do. I had to stop, so I had to deal with it, and I, I came out on the other side, and it, it was good. It, it was a good thing. It, it, it makes me, uh, I think, do better work on a whole in the long run. Um, since you, you feel that it makes you do better work as a whole in the long run, now what is your reward for finishing a piece, whether it's a jewelry design or a painting 
or even the strip itself? Since you use alcohol as kind of a reward for it, what have you replaced yeah. that, that reward system with? You know, a donut, a cheeseburger, a cup of coffee, you know, a two mile run, like, you know, what's, what's that? These are, these are great questions, by the way. Oh, um, that, that's, uh, that's very insightful because, yeah, you, you have to fill that hole. Basically, once you, once you remove the drugs and alcohol, you have a hole and you have to fill it up with something. And, um, so yeah, my reward was to, have a drink after I finish. And I honestly, this is, this goes back to how you have to stay constantly vigilant. There are times even now when I finish something and I want to relax and I think, you know, it would be great if I could have a drink. And, um, what I do instead is, um, I do a lot of meditating these days and I do, you know, I work, I work out, I do exercising and, um, and uh, I just try to put myself in, yeah, I try to get myself into a, a a bit of a high in a natural way, you know, through meditation or just chilling out and trying to watch something on TV or, you know. But, you know, that's one of the things I miss the most about it is uh, is that reward. Mm -hmm. um, there's one thing I noticed with, with friends that were addicts that had relapsed. Um, uh -huh. And then one in particular I knew who ended up ODing because after – several years of being sober, uh, he decided to try one more time to get that fix, you know, as the final goodbye fix. And then it killed him because he was using the same amount that he used prior to getting sober. And it was just too much for his system. Uh, cause he was no yeah, tolerance. Um, the one mistake I, I noticed that, that people make, or this is at least my interpretation as a mistake is going back and hanging out with the same crowd once they've got out of uh -huh. rehab or once they've been in AA for six months or three months or whatever it is and being with the people that they used to party with, uh, which is an easy yeah. slippery slope in, uh, in getting back into the addiction. How were you able to avoid all of that, you know, either by cutting people off or by, you know, being firm in your stance and not wanting to partake in that stuff anymore? And how has your yeah. life changed leaving those circles? Another good point. And, you know, I think I say in the book, um, now that you're sober, all your friends are assholes. Now what? You know? And that's one of the things in the book is covered is, is that you tiny kind of look around and you go, you know what? Um, this guy was great when I was drunk, but now I just think he's an idiot. And so a lot of it is natural because when you're sober, you know, you have less tolerance for that kind of person um but a lot of it is just you know it's kind of a mix of trying to remove yourself from those people and if you don't want to remove yourself from the if you feel that the people are worthy of your friendship regardless then you just have to establish a relationship with them that's new and say this is me now and this is what i do and i don't i'm not going to be able to drink with you or use with you and I'm, maybe I'm not going to be as funny because I don't, you know, I'm not laughing at everything like you are because you're high. But that's who I am now. And you kind of have to have a balance between those two things. Um, no, it's a great answer. I really like the answer. But this is one more question that I got to ask about this, uh, you know, because this all ties into the book itself. Although we're, we're having a serious conversation, the book itself is quite humorous and, you know, quite a few chuckles. 
uh, for sober people that remember their, their addict friends and then addicts that will laugh hysterically because they've been through similar situations. Um, yeah. Tony, 20 years ago, uh, while using in comparison to Tony today sober, how would the, Adi- Tony the addict look at Tony in sobriety and how would Tony in sobriety look at Tony the addict? Uh, that's a good one too. Um, well, the guy, the sober Tony, let's see, okay, so the sober Tony is looking back at the drunk Tony and that's basically where I am now and I think that that guy was extremely naive and um, misled and I think that I wouldn't want to be that person but the other way around when I was using and looking back at, at sober people or myself sober it, which would be in the future it, I, I would think that guy's you know that guy's a bore you know he's he's one of those know-it-all um, know-it-all drunks in, in recovery and all he does is talk about like how how great his life is because he doesn't drink. And, uh, I think that's bullshit. I, I used to think that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came out on the other side. There was, and this touches upon something that you said in the book early on, which, which made me really laugh was, uh, about people that don't like the taste of alcohol. So they don't partake. And you told them, yes, yeah. you said something to the extent of, yes, these people exist and just smile, <laughs> nod and walk away politely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the truth. I still don't understand it, you know, because for an addict, you know, or someone who's an alcoholic, like leaving a half-empty wine glass on the table is the craziest thing you've ever heard. It's just not done. And when I see people do that even now, I think, how do they do that? Like, how do you not like to drink? Some people say, a lot of people say they don't like the taste, but some people say they don't like the way it makes me feel. And I just don't get it, you know, because... You know, let's face it, 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 it makes you feel pretty good, um, at least at first. And um, so I don't understand those people. I'm, I, I'm more power to them, but no idea how that works. Um, this might be a bit more of a revealing question. You know, um, is there, the addict in you, is there a bit of envy or jealousy of those people that could either leave the half empty, you know, half drank glass of wine? on the table or the ones that'll just sit there and take a couple of sips from the friend's glass and go, you know what? I didn't really like that Merlot, forget it. And then just go have a soda instead. Like, is there a bit of envy or jealousy of those people that can push themselves away from the glass? There's a little bit of envy, but mostly it's just like confusion. And I don't understand how you do that, but there is envy for people who can still drink reasonably. And, um, you know, I envy the people who can have a cocktail at a party and and not go crazy um, because I wish that was me. Um, it just it never will be again. So um, there's envy there, yeah. Uh, with the book itself, and I, I don't remember if you touched upon this or not, uh, was there a moment when you got sober that there was that temptation of maybe I can have just that one drink um, that either not necessarily led to a full relapse, but a couple of drunken nights and go, eh, never mind. Or was there that moment of, no, never again, because I know what I'm risking, and I'm not willing to risk it? Well, there was that moment, but it didn't work the whole time. And um, 
so I, I did come up, I did decide that this is something I can't do. And then I went ahead and did it anyway. So and this has happened along the course of my sobriety, which has been like 25 years or so. Which, and by the way, I've been mostly sober for those that entire time. But whenever I did relapse, it was a disaster. And, you know, it, it, it basically wound, I wound up in the hospital most of the time. So, yeah, I think, um, I think I lost track of the question. Um, what, were you, what was it again? No, you, you basically answered it in that, you know, uh, with the relapse, was it like a slight relapse or was it like boom, hit rock bottom for like three or four years and then come back type deal? Like that temptation was there to give it a try after X amount of time of sobriety. The temptation was there and, and I did give it a try and it, um, ended in disaster. Basically what I found from my own personal experience and I've heard other people say the same thing is you can stop drinking, but the addiction just keeps going. And so when you go back to it, you know, there's an old saying that says it's not the drinking that killed me, it's the stopping. And that's, that's true because once I had stopped and, and remained, you know, sober for a period of time and then I tried to go back, I went from, you know, a rational human being to like a gutter bum in like, the, the space of like three, four weeks. Wow. And this is coming from a guy who used to be good at it. Like I said, I was really good at it and I thought I could still be good at it, but those days are completely over for me. So that's just one more reason why not to do it, you know? Well, uh, unfortunately you learned that the hard way, but I'm glad you're still here. Um, it also reminds me of Jerry Garcia's story in that when he was going through detox, it was detox that killed him, not sobriety or the drugs. Yeah, it happens a lot. I think it happens. I mean, the jury's still out, I guess, but Amy Winehouse, um, it's arguable that that happened to her, too, because, you know, one of the times when I decided to quit, when I first decided to quit, I decided to do it without help. And what happened to me was something that I, I couldn't even believe. I basically, and this is from alcohol, I basically started hallucinating, and um, and then the, after about a day and a half, I had a seizure. And that's from the stopping. So you have to be really careful when you stop. You have to do other things. You have to like take some sort of, you know, other drug to, to balance yourself out or at least be under a physician's care because you can literally kill yourself by stopping. That's intense, man. You know, like luckily with like, you know, obesity and food addiction, I think if you just switch your diet up gradually, it's different than, than quitting cold turkey with with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little in that sense it is different. But as far as the addiction part and um, the not being able to control it, it, it's basically the same thing. You know, the, the food addiction. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and back to the book. I, I think one of the funniest things that that you said in here was. Uh, when your kid looks up from his math homework and asks you how much is one eighth, you won't say $25 if you get it from my guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that actually that didn't happen to me, but, uh, you know, it's, it's similar things have happened to me. It's like, because that's, that's, I guess that says a lot about how you think when you're, um, when you're, you're using. It's basically the first thing on your mind. Like, it's the first consideration before you do anything. Like, um, if you decide to go to a restaurant, you don't think, okay, let's go to the restaurant. You think, 
what restaurant am I going to? How big are the wine glasses? And can I drink before? And will I be able to drink after? These are the things that go through your mind. So every single decision you make is, is now complicated by the fact that you have to manage this addiction. Right. Okay. Yeah, this, I mean, it's, it's a heavy topic, but like, I'm glad that we're talking about it because once people pick up the book and see the humor in it, they understand the heaviness isn't being insulted. It's, you know, being levied with humor. And I'm so glad that like we're going back and forth with the topic. Yeah, me too. I, I appreciate your questions. They've been very, um, you know, very insightful. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the things you asked me, I, I wasn't thinking about. Um, and it made me think also. The, this one thing that, that intrigues me is that, you know, you like yourself now as a person, uh, you rediscovered yourself and I hear, I hear the term, you know, learning to love yourself quite a bit. Um, what was the moment that you realized that loving yourself wasn't a selfish act and also the first thing you learned to love about yourself once you became sober? Um, well, at the moment when I first, um, thought it was okay to love myself, I guess, was after I had told everyone and had been in, the, AA is, is largely responsible for my recovery, by the way, and, um, uh, once I was in AA for a little while, um, I began to become more comfortable in my own skin, because one of the things that I was... I wasn't ever comfortable in my own skin, which is why I tried to um, self-medicate. So it's definitely a learn, learning experience, though. It's not something that happens overnight. You have to get to that place where you, you say, you know, it's okay to just be me. And um, so it was probably, you know, a few years after I um, first first put everything down. That's intense, man. But at least it's honest that you said a you know few years instead of like I was three days sober and then all of a sudden I was ready to conquer the world. Oh fuck no! It's a it's a whole thing. It's a, it's it's like it's and it's and I'm still learning. You know, I, I don't ever say that I'm I've recovered. I'm not. I haven't recovered. I'm in recovery and I always will be. And um, at least I hope I always will be. See, there's the the addict in me again. I said I always will be. Uh, see, I can't say that because I, I don't know. Addiction is is always waiting for you to make a mistake, and the, you have, that's why you have to be vigilant. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is to take a, a step back from it and laugh at some of the things that we do when we're using. Um, so, yeah. Tony, before I let you go, because you know we we've had an intense conversation, but the like I said, the book is a lot of fun. You know, the high points of sobriety, a comical guide to to addiction recovery. Uh, what's one thing you want to tell somebody that's either listening to this or any of the other interviews that you've done or or has picked up the book that is thinking about getting sober and just needs that one extra you know nudge. Um. Well, again, I don't mean to sound cliche, but you can't give up. Uh, you, you can't, because you know what? It's going to suck when you first stop. It's going to suck, and there's no way around that. So you have to start to 
think that, you know, this is the only choice I have. And, um, you, you have to, you have to fortify yourself like every day. So I would say just don't be discouraged by the fact that you're miserable because you're going to be miserable for a while. And how do you avoid, avoid self-sabotage at, at some point? Uh, while, while I was using or in general? While, while getting sober. Um, well, you know, if you follow the program in AA, the, the reason why that exists is because there's all these rules. And one of the things they have is take it until you make it, which basically is just listen to what they say and do what they say. Whether or not you're feeling it or you're liking it or you even believe that this is true, you just do the steps that they give you and keep going to meetings because eventually what happens is whether or not you believe in, in AA or think it's helping you, if you sit there long enough and listen to enough people, in most cases, eventually it, begin, it begins to help you. It's just like, it's like magic. It just starts to help. Um, even if you're not into it, you, you figure out ways to make it work for you. If you just, you know, shut your mouth and listen. I dig it, man. And, and for people that want to know at the end of the book, when, once you've had your laughs, if you're still struggling with that nudge to get over the edge of addiction, there's two pages worth of hotlines, websites, and information that you can call and contact. Uh, just to get that first step into recovery and, and helping with various addictions and mental disorders. Uh, Tony Rubin, uh, Rubino, it's been a pleasure. I mean, 12 books in, a comic strip, fashion designer, accessories, painter, um, own personal muse at this point, I'm guessing. Uh, where can we find you on social media if we want to connect with you? Um, well, the, the hub is uh, rubinocreative.com. And... Um, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm on a bunch of websites, Etsy, I'm on Amazon, I'm on a lot of things. So if you search Tony Rubino Artist or Tony Rubino Art, you'll get like a bunch of stuff. Perfect. And, uh, Rubino Creative or Creatives, plural with an S? Rubino Creative, no S. Okay, perfect, man. Tony Rubino, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been a very insightful conversation. Uh, a heavy topic with, uh, with a velvet glove, you know, what is it? Iron hand with a velvet glove, uh, type deal, but it's, it's yeah. a humorous book. The high points of sobriety, a comical guide to addiction recovery. Uh, it, it's a great quick read. It's a lot of fun. Um, again, if you're the sober friend that senior friends go through addiction, you'll find some of this humorous and heartbreaking. If you've been through addiction and you've survived it, you're still going to get some laughs out of it, reminding you of just how silly you were, but uh, you made it out on the other side, and we're happy to see everybody that is a survivor. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, and I just want to say that you know I've done a bunch of interviews for this, and this is the best interview I've done. I mean, not because of what I said, but because of your question. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, man. I greatly appreciate it.